0: That's Romans 6, verses 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or well, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, but you are, because you are not under law, but under grace. This is God's word.
1: Uh, good evening. If we've not met, my name is uh, Matt. Matt Fuller. It's uh, uh, been a joy to meet you afterwards. Uh, but as we begin, it's um, a very simple truth, but it's a slightly tricky passage. So let's pray together as we begin. Father, you're a good God who gives us just what we need. Uh, thank you for being such a kind Father. And here are words that we need. Uh, we need them to live rightly, uh, the Christian life uh, before you. And so we pray we'd understand them rightly, perhaps understand why we need them. We're we're creatures who love just to be told practical things and get on with it. And uh, sometimes we don't really want to grapple with sort of big truths, but we need these big truths in order to live changed lives. So please, by your spirit, would you help us understand them and rejoice in them and offer ourselves to you. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, if you join us, we're in Romans 5 to 8 then uh, for a couple of months this term um, and uh, essentially how looking at how the, uh, the truth that you're justified by faith if you're a Christian actually affects you. Come back to that in a moment, but uh, if you were here last time, we uh, really were delighting in the truth of chapter 5, verse 20. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Now here's a wonderful truth we said last time for the Christian, that you cannot out-sin Jesus. No matter how much you sin, there is always more grace. There is more grace in Jesus than there is sin in you. You can try to out-sin him, you will not. You cannot if you're a Christian. There is more grace in Jesus than there is sin in you. It's a wonderful truth. But the question comes uh, fairly, once it's uh, logically, uh, it seems to me, it's chapter six, verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And that's what we're looking at over the next two weeks. Do you get his question? Okay, so I'm a Christian and I get forgiven no matter what I do. So can I just keep on sinning? In fact, if the more sin, the more grace is demonstrated, that's a good thing. Do you see the force of his arguments? You know, so imagine someone gives you a credit card and says, there is no limit to it. Everything you put, it will always be covered. Well, you start off and think, oh, okay, well, let's have a go. So you buy, I don't know, a few books. You know, except, oh, okay, a nice meal for 100 quid. Nice bill. Well, um, uh, oh, great. It, it, it works. It, oh, okay. Let's let's push let's push this window a little bit. So you buy a holiday for uh, a, a, a thousand pounds. Great. You buy a car for twenty thousand pounds. Great. You think, well, how good is this credit card? Let's buy a house for a million pounds. ka it goes through. Whoa! Shall I keep spending so that the limit may increase? I'm just going to spend, 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 spend. Uh, and see if it, and it's all covered. Isn't that great? Is that what I'm meant to do? Can I just sin, 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 sin? And just to demonstrate how extraordinary forgiveness is. Verse two, No. No by no means. Now if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, you probably don't think in those terms. Perhaps if you ratchet it back a bit, but more common in the Christian life is is to settle back into, well, so here I am on a Sunday and I listen, I think that's good and that's true and I go away in the week and my behaviour is rubbish really and, and you know, I, I know I should live one way but I live in a different way. Uh, but here I am on a Sunday and nothing's changed and I've been pretty immoral all week and pretty angry and fearsome and aggressive and unkind. Is that alright? Can I just carry on like that? Just sort of pop in on a Sunday, I'm, you know, oh yeah, I'm forgiven, great, grace is good, and then just carry on living immorally. Is that alright? I mean, I don't really intend, I'm not pushing the envelope, I'm not going for like category A sins of murder. I'm not going to, you know, but is that alright just to carry on like that? No. by no means, says Paul. Now I'm not going to lie, the, uh, the argument he constructs is slightly tricky. Uh, but in essence it's simple. If you're a Christian, you're united to Jesus Christ. And you'll only, only ask the question of chapter 6 verse 1 if you rip apart two things. Christ's work for you and his work in you. You can't rip those apart Because once you're a Christian, you're united to Jesus by faith. And that changes who you are. We introduced this idea uh, last time. Do you remember? We said um, uh, Paul thinks in categories of, uh, in one sense, everyone belongs to one of two people. You either belong to Adam or you belong to Jesus. Do you remember these? Uh, Oh dear they're all a bit tangled up not to worry but um, uh, it is as if uh, the whole of humanity is uh, either attached to Jesus or attached to Adam a bit like this a bit like they're on big belt so if adam is an enormous giant and jesus is a big giant if <laughs> uh, you know if adam d- sins and condemnation is upon him and death is upon him what is true of adam is true of all those who are United to him, attached to him. What matters is what he has done. But when you become a Christian, you're no longer united to Adam, you join Jesus. You're united to him. So what's true of him is true of you. So if Jesus dies and rises to new life, you die and rise to new life with him. Now there are no perfect illustrations for this because it's so... Once it's amazing and alien to our thinking. But again, it's a bit like you know, a, uh, if you did a tandem skydive. So there you are, you're, you're attached to the professional uh, and uh, you're velcro Not Velcro, are you? That wouldn't be safe enough. You're. Um, <laughs> don't, don't go for that company. Uh, no, you're united for a tandem skydive. You're you know, whatever it is, a big uh, a z, you're all squeezed into one. T- I don't know how they do it, actually. But anyway, you're united to the person. If the instructor jumps on the plane, so do you. If he forgets to pull the shoe and squit and splats on the ground, so do you. But he doesn't. If he pulls his shoe and whoosh, goes up, so do you. If he lands gently without breaking everything, so do you. You're united to him. What is true of him is true of you. Now the Christian is one who's united to Jesus. What's true of him is true of you is the emphasis uh, that Paul wants us to get. And it's a wonderful truth, and we said last time, it stops us navel-gazing. How is my Christian life? How am I doing? Have I had a good week? Have I had a bad week? I well, stop that. It's What you have done is far less significant than what Christ has done. He represents you. He's the giant, and you're the little person dangling off him. What matters primarily is what he has done. And if you're a Christian, you're united to him. Now, this is, this is such an important truth. I just want to dwell on it a little bit before we really jump into the text. I mean, it may be familiar, but for most of us, it isn't. This isn't how else it gets described in the Bible. So, Jesus in uh, John 15 uh, puts it this way uh, John 15, verse 5. If we've got that. There we go. Uh, here's other pictures that Jesus uses to help us. So, John 15, verse 5 I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, there's another way of explaining it being united to Him. A branch in a tree, the branch gains all the life, all the nutrients, all that it is gains from the tree. If the branch is cut off, useless. You, you, but you're in Christ. That's the union that matters. Or uh, a slightly different place, John 17. Jesus praying to his Father. My prayer is not for them alone, the disciples. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Golly. Jesus is saying the union between him and, his, him and his people, which creates union amongst Christ's disciples, the union is in some way comparable to the union that God the Father has with God the Son that existed throughout eternity. It's an extraordinary union. Or as Paul put it, Ephesians 5, for this reason, I uh, talking of marriage, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. It's a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So just as a, a husband and a wife come together and have intimacy Sexual intimacy, uh, emotional intimacy. You know, a couple who've known one another for 20 years, 30 years. They just know everything about one another. They grow into one another. They start to look like one another. They finish one another's sentences. You know, that's just how it is after a long period of time. But there's intimacy. And Paul's saying, yeah, 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 it's a mystery. I'm not saying it's straightforward to understand. But it, it's a picture of Jesus and the church. Union. There's an intimacy there. So you see, this union we have with Jesus is not just in any sense legal, it's personal, it's intimate, it's organic, it's nourishing, it transforms us. And God says it's true. What does it feel? And I'll just, don't go there yet. God says it's true. We're united to Jesus by his spirit. When we get to Romans chapter 8, you see in one sense that the primary work of the spirit is to unite us to all that Christ is and has so that we're nourished by him. But it's a wonderful truth. We're united to Christ. Now look, the passage goes a bit like this. It's fairly straightforward in one sense. There's a description of what God has done, verses 2 to 11, and then there's an imperative for us, 12 to 14. Here's what we do, done dudes, do, It's very simple. Or you're dead to sin and alive to God, verses 2 to 11. So don't let sin reign, 12 to 14. Okay, uh, verses 2 to 11 then. Uh, should we sing, go on sinning so that grace may increase? Verse 2, by no means. We die to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Now this whole section 2 to 11, it is dense. Uh, let me just give an illustration to begin with and then um, we'll unpack uh, the text in a bit more detail. Paul views in this section sin as an evil dictator. Sin is an Idi mean who is disgraceful in treating his people. A violent despot a Robert Mugabe sort of figure sin is a power that reigns and we've seen that already chapter 5 verse uh, 21 sin reigned in death previously we'll see it in a moment chapter 6 verse 12 therefore do not let sin reign sin is a despot so imagine a kingdom, and a kingdom called the Kingdom, we call it kingdom Soma, that would work for me. But uh, this, in this kingdom, uh, uh, it's ruled by a wicked despot, tyrant, uh, Kim Jong un, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and everyone is kept in slavery. And it's a terrible regime to live under, the secret police, etc., etc. But in this kingdom, the tyrant is sin. Now, sin really has one weapon. Of significance, and that is death. And as soon as you've sinned, death is the is the is the weapon. So we're there in this kingdom, uh, enslaved to our, this evil tyrant called sin. And sin says, "I own you, and you belong to me, and you cannot escape. You are my slaves, and I have death over you. That's my big bazooka. You will die physically." You'll be cut off from God eternally. Death. But, uh, in the the logic of the passage, Paul says, no, but look, Jesus has come along. Um, Jesus, once you place your faith in Jesus, you've died with him, you've raised with him, and therefore death has no fear over you. Sin comes along with his big bazooka and says, you belong to me, and you say, "No, no, you don't. Sin says, you must follow me, and you say, nah. Stuff it, mate, get lost. But I'll kill you, you can't. I've died and risen with Jesus. Death doesn't hold any fear for me. And that is the logic of what's going on here. Of course, we sit here and think, okay, that sounds okay-ish. But the problem is, I still do obey sin. (laughs) I don't just do what Jesus says. Sometimes I do what sin says. I do the things that are wrong. Yeah, that's because we're just so used to living in a certain pattern of behavior. You know, so you get stories told... Uh, American Civil War, uh, North fights South, uh, uh, North wins, slavery is abolished, and all slaves in the Deep South are allowed to go free. But not all of them did. Lots of them still served their masters. Lots of them still served sometimes brutal, physically abusive masters. Why? Because they're used to it. All of their lives, for twenty or thirty years, forty years, they've served a tyrannical, abusive master. And even though someone says you can go free, you know, really, really. But what if he hits me? No, he's got no stick anymore. He's not allowed to do that anymore. Mm, not sure. And that's where Christians are today. Sin is not your master. Jesus is your master. Death has no fear over you. But we still sin. Why do we do that? Because the only power sin has got left is lie. Bluff. Bluster. It's the only power sin has got. But we've just got to stop believing the lie. And that's really what Paul is saying here. He's saying you're free. So please live as men and women who are free. Not as slaves. Okay, let's look at the detail. Uh, We'll break it a little bit. Verses 2 to 4 then. It slightly introduces the rest of the paragraph. Verses 2 to 4. We're united to Jesus' death. Okay. We're united to Jesus' death. Verse 2. By no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Tangent. Paul is not going to say that any Christian is sinless. How can, we, how can you sin anymore? There's a difference between stumbling and deliberately following a life of So, uh, you're walking along a lake one day and uh, whoops, you stumble and you fall in the lake, splash, and you think, oh, I didn't want to do that. And you get out, dry yourself off and on you go. That's very different from every morning waking up and saying, I'm going to go for a swim in the lake and deliberately choosing it. And in the Christian life, sometimes you stumble and you fall and you say, I didn't want to do that. So you get up and on you go again. That's very different from every morning getting up and thinking, I'm going to follow a lifestyle of sin and choosing that. But Paul is saying, don't We'll all stumble, we'll all make mistakes, we'll all fall, but get up again. Don't live deliberately, willfully a life of sin. Don't do that. You can't do that. Don't live in it. Okay, now verse three. Here's the logic. Don't you know that all of us were baptised into Christ Jesus, were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptism here, don't get obsessed. It's just used as shorthand for faith in Jesus here. That's how Paul is using it in this uh, section. He's saying really here, when you become a Christian, you're united to the events of 2,000 years ago. Jesus' story is your story. He died and rose again. If you're united to him, you died and rose again. If you're English, you can say, I mean, no illustration is perfect, but if you're English, you can say, uh, we won the Football World Cup in 1966. Did you? Did you? As I look around here, maybe one, maybe two were alive in 66. Not many were. Not many of you are good enough footballers to have won uh, a a World Cup. So, actually isn't true. You, in this room, did not win the World Cup, but we did. We did. In what sense? The ones who represent you did. When you become a Christian, you're united to Jesus. You've died and risen to new life. Have I really? Well, the one who represents you has. And his story is your story. You're united to those events, you're united to him. And again, this is not let's pretend. God says this is true if you're a Christian. Christ has died and risen again to conquer death, and so have we. Okay, so that's the first two to four. We're united to Jesus' death. Five to seven, we're justified from sin. Verse five. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we'll certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Four, we know that in our excuse me, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. The footnote is a better translation, or more literal translation of the Greek. Our old self was crucified with him, so the body of sin might be rendered powerless. I was a Christian, I had a, excuse me, before I was a Christian, all that I was was a body of sin. I'm no longer under the power of sin. Not now. Okay, how does that work? That we should no longer be slaves to sin. How has this happened? Because, verse 7, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now bear with me for a moment. Literally that last sentence, verse 7. Anyone who has died has been justified from sin. Same word as in chapter 5, verse 1. We've been justified through faith. Same word as um, uh, chapter 5, verse 9. Uh, we've been justified by his blood. I don't know why it gets translated differently here, it just does, I'm sorry about that. But why does it matter? Because anyone who's died has been justified from sin. So I can no longer be a slave to sin. Okay, Paul, help, 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 help. I can't be a slave to sin because I've been justified by sin. How does that work? I mean, that's (laughs) that's the question in one sense for us. How does the knowledge that I'm, forgive, I'm justified in God's courtroom, how does that knowledge mean I can no longer be a slave? I shouldn't act that way. Well, I think in practice, it goes a bit like this. Uh, imagine, uh, James and Kate, uh, forgive me if that's your name, uh, James and Kate are a modern-day Bonnie and Clyde, and they've gone on a stealing spree. So they've got a car, and they're driving slowly up the M1, and uh, whenever they get to a service station, they go in, and they steal uh, Haribo and LucasAid, and uh, also rob the till, Uh, and so they nick money, and they're seen on CCTV, and they're on the run. Uh, They're on the run. Now, they do this, and they work their way up Watford, and then whatever comes next. Um, I'm not sad enough to know all the Service stations on the M1. You'll be pleased to know. If, although if you do, that's nice. Um, but they go up the M1 and st- stealing. Now at some point they get they get. The, this is silly. What are we doing? We, you know, it was a bit of a giggle. We thought one Sunday afternoon we we're a bit bored. Let's go on a Haribo hunt and nick it. And but this is we just got carried away. Let's stop. Apart from if we stop, we're going to get arrested. We're going to get tried. Because the police will be after us and our faces are seen. So, what do we do? Let's just keep on going. We've got no choice. I'm fed up of this life. Yeah, but you know, we just got to keep on going because if we stop, we're going to be arrested, we're going to be in all sorts of trouble. So, their guilt for what they've done just keeps them going in a pattern of sin. They're paralyzed by their guilt. And can't move on. How does, it, how does it all end? I guess it ends if, if they're funny, they're arrested and they do six months in prison, they're released. And at the point of release they go, now we're free to do whatever we want. We're no longer scared by the police. We're no longer held back by our guilt. We don't have to steal Haribo anymore and go on the run and nick money anymore. We're, we're, we're free at this point. Paul's argument here is, actually often why we carry on in a pattern of sin it's because we're, we're just trapped in guilt. And we need to know that Christ has paid for us. He's been imprisoned for us, if you will. He's taken the wrath of God for us. He's paid for our sin. So we're free. Now, I think that's quite common for people to think, oh, I'm a rubbish Christian. I'm a rubbish Christian. I don't make progress. Uh, i 've made those mistakes in the past everyone knows i 've made those mistakes i 'm a rubbish Christian. Shall I push on in the Christian life or I give up i 'm just going to carry on in this sort of half hearted Christian living because I get no better. And Paul is saying, Don't do that. Don't do that. You don't need to do that. It's all dealt with in the past. Stop feeling guilty. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. It's done. Jesus paid for it. You're justified from your sin. You have a clean slate. In fact, more than that, you're righteous. You stand before God the Father as one who he loves. You don't have to feel, don't feel that sin has power over you. It doesn't. It really doesn't. You are clean. Go forward. I think that's what he's saying here. We have been justified from our sin. So go on. Last little element here, verses 8 to 10, will be raised with Christ. So, um, are you dead to sin? Uh, no, no, we're united Jesus, death 2 to 4, we're justified from sin 5 to 7, we'll be raised with Christ, 8 to 10. Now the emphasis here is on looking forward, verse 8. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus has conquered death. And now his wonderful, indefeatable life, he stands before God the Father. And you're united to him. That's your your destiny too. It is, again, no illustration is perfect, but it is as if if you're a Christian, there's this enormous bungee cord between you and Christ. And Christ is there... In heaven, we've got the Father. And your, the tension on this bungee is very strong. And the only thing that's holding you is this sort of physical body. And as soon as you die, you're there. You can't help it. It's inevitable. That bungee cord cannot be broken. It's not a bungee cord. You're united to Christ by his spirit. What is true of Christ is true of you. You will be there. It's inevitable. That's his logic. So question of verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Pretty interesting. What has Paul's answer been? His answer has not been. No, you don't. There's a new power at work within you. No, that'll come in chapter 8, actually. That's not his emphasis here. Can we go on sinning? You don't need to. You've got Popeye and spinach. You can resist. Here he says, God, Could you just be clear on what Christ has done for you and who you are in Him? Again, as we said a couple of weeks ago, just the Christian life is like walking a wobbly rope bridge, and it's across a canyon, and then there is a big valley below. And if you fall, you'll die, and it's terrible. But you know, you are on this wobbly bridge, like Indiana Jones, you know, the sort of Temple of Doom, that sort of whoa, wobbly thing. But it's not that; it's fine because the bridge is attached at one side of the valley by justified by faith. And in the future, Christ, your hope, is in glory. Your your past and your future are so firmly attached that even though the bridge wobbles, it's fine. You will never be let off. You can't fall off. He's saying, "Could, could you get that? Do you know that? Verse 11. Verse 11 is the first imperative in the whole of the letter. So he says, look, five and a half chapters... I've been telling you what Jesus has done largely and why you needed it. Now here's the first thing I'm telling you to do. Chapter five, verse 11. Excuse me, six, verse 11. In the same way as Jesus, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourselves. Know that this is true. Believe God's word when he says it to you. Paul says, look, for a moment, can I say, I don't care how you feel. God says this to you. You've died with Christ, you've raised with him, you're united to him. Verse 11 says something like this in the original Greek text. It's this, okay, here's my translation. (laughs) Can I please bag it into your head what Jesus has done for you? You, and that you're united to Him. Please, will you please understand that? Will you please understand you are not the same as you were? Your past mistakes, sins are atoned for. God looks down and sees you as His Son, righteous, wonderful. Your future is guaranteed in glory. You're united to Christ, He strengthens you now. You are not the same as you were. You're dead to sin and alive to god now even at this point how does that help let's take an example chapter 12 by the time you get to romans chapter 12 it's just staccato imperatives uh do hospitality don't boast that sort of thing don't give up always be zealous but to say one be joyful in hope paul will say in chapter 12 be joyful in hope okay be joyful in hope super i've got to be joyful the truth is, uh, apparently, my wife tells me, just on the odd occasion, oh, I grumble. I grumble. I grumble and complain. And I look at the past, the decisions I've taken, and think, I wish I hadn't done that. At things I've said. I wish I hadn't said that. Of, of uh, yeah, people I've met and things. I just, oh, I made all those bad decisions. And I look back and think, the decisions I made in the past... mean, I am where I am now, which is not where I want to be, and I grumble, and I complain, and if only I hadn't. And and Paul says, well, hold on a minute. Will you stop listening to the voice in your ear, the voice of sin, the evil dictator who's feeble, really, but whispering in your ear, yeah, you've cocked it up. You've sinned in the past, you're guilty for your sin, and your life is always on a B track, and um, God will never quite love you as you could have done. Uh, and "I'll so just whisper that in your ear. And Paul says, Don't listen. Do not listen. All that is done in the past is atoned for. And you have a guaranteed future with God the Father in heaven. You died with Christ, you're united to him. Would you just get that into your head? And knowing that, be joyful. Be joyful. You don't need to regret. You don't need to live in the past. Look forward. You're dead to sin and alive to God. Now, once we got that truth clear, verses 12 to 14, fight. When You, uh, you, can't, you can't do 12 to 14 if you're not a Christian. It won't work. It's just moralism and uh, you'll fail. But if you know what Christ has done for you and you're, you know you're united to him, fight. Don't let sin reign. Uh, verse 12 Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Okay, so here then is the battlefield. Paul says there's a civil war taking place in your body and it's a battlefield. Do not let sin reign. Don't let him because Christ reigns. So it looks a bit like this. I don't know we've got a little picture of our our, our man, our friend. Okay. That's true before anyone becomes a Christian. Sin reigns. You do whatever sin tells you to do. And you're scared. You're fearful. You live a life under the, the sentence of death. That's true. When you become a Christian, it changes to this. God reigns over your life. Now sin is still within you. Until we get to glory, until we get to heaven. But don't listen. Because sin is a defeated general. So it's a civil war, and uh, there are two generals in this civil war, God and sin. Sin is an evil, wicked, Idi Amin, Robert Mugabe, nasty despot. But it's lost all its power. No armies, no munitions, no weapons, not a bullet, not a gun, Nothing. God reigns over you and he's defeated sin. The only thing sin has got left is lies. Bluff. So sin comes along and says, listen, you'll be much happier if you obey me than if you obey God. That's a lie. You don't have to believe that lie. Sin comes along and says, listen, you've bogged up your life so far. So and you know, but you don't make any progress, do you, in the Christian life? So why do you fight? Don't bother. Just run with me. It's much easier. But sin lies. Sin is an unpleasant despot. Do you pick up the the two girls uh, back uh, uh, at the end of the autumn, just before Christmas? Uh, uh, Samra uh, Kesanovic and Sabina, uh, the younger one. Uh, so two, they, they, did you pick this up in the press? The two Austrian girls who uh, decided, they looked upon events in Syria and thought, oh, it would be really exciting and uh, uh, stimulating and uh, uh, what a uh, adventure to go and join ISIS and um, fight with them. So these two Austrian girls left messages for mum and dad, don't try and follow us, we're going to go and follow Allah and uh, join ISIS. So they went and they joined and uh, they were married off and uh, both were pregnant, age 15, age 17. uh, And then they got messages back to their parents, help. We are absolutely miserable. We thought this would be noble and wonderful. We're treated appallingly. We're physically beaten by men. We're not allowed to speak. We hate it. Please, will you get us home? First, it looked so attractive. Oh, it's, it's like, oh, it'll be fun and freedom from boring old mum and dad. And you know, they, what do they know? And you know, they've never lived our lives. They don't know how exciting it is to be young. And let's go over here and have an adventure. And it was miserable, a terrible mistake. I just, Austrian government still hasn't got them out. Don't listen to sin. Oh, it'll be so exciting, so much easier, so more. You know, no, it never ends happily. Miserable. It's a lie. It's a lie. So Paul says, look, there's this civil war going on. God rules you, not sin. Don't fear sin. So what do you do? Don't offer the parts of your body to sin. Rather, offer yourselves to God. Now, don't miss him. When he says parts of your body, he's not... It doesn't mean it's literally... um, Bits or faculties might be a better word. Don't offer your faculties. Otherwise, if you think parts of your body, you might think, I should offer my earlobe to Jesus and my uh, uh, right toenail to Jesus. Not literally physical parts of your body, but your faculties. So as Jesus would say, love me with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That sort of idea. Or another way to put it, your imagination, your thinking, your daydreaming, your actions. Choose. Fight. Offer. That's what he's saying. Because verse 14, sin shall not be your master. You're not under law, you're not under grace. You, you do know that sin loses, and eventually sin will go. When you join, when you're with God in glory, there won't be any sin. Sins that Why in this civil war within you do you serve the general who's defeated, who's a loser, and makes your life miserable? Serve Jesus. Offer yourself to him. Now, what does that mean? Just a couple of examples, then we're done. Let's try and make it practical look, uh, some of us are battling anger and Paul says don't offer your faculties to sin offer them to Jesus don't, if you're battling with anger don't allow your memory to just replay the whatever it was that got you angry over and over again you calm down and think, yeah but but what happened he said this to me don't allow, don't offer your memory to sin, offer it to God your imagination, don't let your imagination run. Okay, let me just have uh, uh, sort of imaginary conversations where the person who's annoyed me, I sort of denounce them, uh, make them look really stupid in front of 10 people, the whole church, and everyone laughs at them and says they're so silly and you're so good. And Don't, don't, let your, don't, don't have those imaginary sort of thought conversations where you sort of shout and rage at them and tell them what's... Don't do that. Don't offer your imagination to sin. Don't do it. Offer it to God. Don't let your tongue. Don't offer your tongue to sin. Don't speak badly if whoever has angered you. do slander them. Offer it to God. You have a choice, says Paul. When you know who you are, when you're confident, when you've banged it into your head that you're united to Christ, you don't have to abase sin anymore, don't. Don't. Offer your faculties, imagination, reasoning, actions, daydreams. Don't give them to sin. Don't do it. Give them to God. Or look, another example. Look, some of us are struggling with lust. Don't offer your faculties to sin. Offer them to God. Don't allow your eyes to be drawn repeatedly to, a, I don't know, a short skirt, a tight top, tight track. Don't, don't offer your eyes to sin. Offer them to God. Don't allow your memory to dwell upon unhelpful images. Don't offer your memory to sin and just dwell and play and sort of let your memory linger on. Whatever it is, pornographic images, unhelpful. Don't do it. Offer it to God. Don't let your fingers. Don't offer your fingers to sin by moving your mouse or your trackpad and clicking on stuff you know is going to be helpful. Don't do that. Offer them to God. You have a choice. You do have a choice says Paul, you're not, sin doesn't reign over you anymore. Jesus reigns over you. Sin will whisper, you'll be happier. He's a liar. He's a wicked despot. He tortures his his people. Don't do it. Fight. Christians fight. As those who have been brought from death to life, whose sins are atoned for, who aren't bound in guilt, but live for Jesus. Fight. Fight it. I enjoyed the realism of John Newton. I was reading some stuff of his. It's a fairly famous quote. but It's a wonderful quote in many ways. John Newton, the the, uh, former slave trader. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I'm not what I once used to be. By the grace of God, I am what I am. There's realism there. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I will be in the world to come. I'm not what I want to be now. But I'm fighting. I'm fighting. By the grace of God, I am what I am and I'm fighting. Not what I was, not what I will be. Still get it wrong. But I'm a Christian. Sin doesn't reign over me. Jesus reigns over me. That's wonderfully liberating. So I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. Let me lead us in prayer. Hi, God and Father. We'd like simple solutions. We'd like to uh, flick a switch and be changed uh, in the blink of an eye, here and now. Uh, for our sin to go, Uh, and yet your way is to have us grapple with big truths, have us understand we're united to Christ and dwell upon that image and, and think what that means for us and delight in that and reckon ourselves as ones who have died to sin. It has no hold over us. We're alive to God in Christ. We'll be with him in glory. Father, would these truths change us? Would they affect us? so that we fight, so we don't give over our faculties to sin, but we offer ourselves to you for our good, for our happiness, for our contentment, for our progress, for our joy, and for the honour of your name. Amen.